Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Today we're starting a series on a book called The First Letter from Peter or The First Letter of Peter. So in the Bible, there's this whole sections of letters, think Colossians, Ephesians, and so on, written to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, but the letter of Peter was written from Peter to other people. I've been reading lately from a good news version of the Bible, which somebody gave us for a wedding present, and I quite like it. It's, it's, I know we talk a bit about different versions of the Bible. The good news version was made for people who spoke, spoke English as a second language. So it's kept quite simple. Uh, and there's, there obviously there are shades of meaning which are lost, okay? There are some words that, that are translated perhaps too simply. But nonetheless, there's a lot I'm enjoying about it. And one thing is, it gives introductions to the books. And I'm going to read you what the Good News Version of the Bible says by way of introduction to the book of the first letter from Peter. We're going to be doing a series on it. So this is, I think this is a really good way of just setting the scene. Also means for those of you out there who have an a attention span of less than two minutes, You'll probably you listen to this bit and you've got a, something out of it. The first letter from Peter was addressed to Christians, here called God's chosen people, who were scattered throughout the northern part of Asia Minor. The main purpose of the letter is to encourage the readers who are facing persecution and suffering for their faith. The writer does this by reminding his readers of the good news about Jesus Christ, whose death resurrection and promised coming give them hope. In the light of this, they are to accept and endure their suffering, confident that it is a test of the genuineness of their faith and that they will be rewarded on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. Along with his encouragement in time of trouble, the writer also urges his readers to live as people who belong to Christ. So for the next few weeks, we'll be studying that letter. It's a short scripture that I've got to speak to you today, so we're going to unpack it pretty thoroughly. We're going to look at it in quite some depth. And uh, how, how are we going? Have we got... Um, can you put the first one up, Daniel, or do I do that? Right, there we go. So this is... Well, let's start reading this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you know any apostles? I understand that apostles simply mean people who are sent. Maybe you're one. To the elect who are exiles of dispersion throughout Pontus, Galatea, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, living as refugees is the way the Good News Version of the Bible puts this. You'll find your version might say foreigners, it might say exiles, it might say living as strangers, it might say living as aliens. There are so many different words used to translate this, uh, this word exiles or in this version. So many different words used that you can be sure there's no English word that's quite right. But what do all those words mean? Refugees, foreigners, exiles, strangers and aliens, they all give us the idea that you don't quite fit. You got that? You're living in the society, you go, well, I'm glad God's with me, but we, we, this kind of isn't what we're used to. We kind of don't fit here. And the reason is, because all the people he wrote from, or wrote to, had come from somewhere else. They'd all started off sort of in Israel, in Jerusalem, where, where Christianity had started, and they'd had to move. They didn't want to, but they had to move simply to be partly safe. 
And uh, like, F, like many refugees nowadays, they fled the terrible dangers of Jerusalem where they've been put to death and captured. I mean, some of you will remember Saul, won't you? Saul of Tarsus, how he went out catching Christians, throwing them in jail, killing them. He did all that stuff. And so to get away from that, they flee to wherever they can go. And that list of places, you're going to go, where on earth are they, Jeremy? Well, a long way away. That's where. And when you get to a place like that, the culture's different, isn't it? The way people speak is different. The food is different. Where are you going to live? How are you going to get a job? You lost your job, you see. Terrible things to face. Very difficult in itself. And then it gets worse because you find that where you've gone, the, the enemies of Christianity have, have got long, long tentacles. And so even where you are, you find you're persecuted for your faith. You haven't totally got away from it. This is a very difficult situation. It happened then and it happens now. You will know that many people are forced to flee where they live because they're being persecuted for their faith. In Central Africa, the Fulani uh, tribesmen just walk around. They say they need grazing land. So their way of getting it is to go into a village, use machine guns and kill everybody and burn the village down. To flee the Fulani trades. Uh, the Fulanis, to get away from that, the people of Africa who are not rich, they don't have much. All they own is what's there. They have to leave it. And they have to go and live somewhere else where they feel safe. And just a couple of weeks ago, there was a terrible massacre where the Fulanis actually came to a village where they'd all run to, the town where they'd all gone for safety and killed them. So dreadful things trying to get away like that. Uh, in Germany, I heard of an example where, where people from Syria uh, refugees from this terrible war that's there, they, they went to Germany and finally feel they're in a place of safety because Germany is a fairly ordered society with laws that protect people and mean you are free to be a Christian. What happened was they got kicked out of their apartment block they were living in because the Muslim refugees who'd got, who were in the apartment block didn't want to share it with Christians. So even once German governments resettled them, they given them an apartment, everything else, the Christians are kicked out. And that's what happens. That's why not many Syrian Christians have come to New Zealand. Because when people queue up and ask to be refugees, can we come and be resettled in New Zealand, please? And the government lets them in. They have applied through the United Nations in the refugee camps. But the Christians have been kicked out of the refugee camps by the Muslims. And they're living in abandoned buildings and they're living in the forest. So being a refugee is hard. It was hard then, it's hard now. Because even when you get to the place that you thought would hold safety, often all sorts of terrible things happen. And that's what would happen to Bible Christians. They'd arrive somewhere, they'd face hardship, they'd have material hardship, they'd have rejection, they'd have suspicion. At the very least, they'd look like foreigners, so people might not trust them to give them a job. Let's have a look at where it goes from there. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father and sanctified by the spirit of obedience. To, uh, sorry, hang on, where am I? Acqu sorry, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctified by the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace be yours in abundance. Sometimes when people are explaining the gospel, they say this, we have a free choice. Have you heard that? We have a free choice. It's not wrong, but the most important choice that the Bible tells us about is not our free choice. It's that God chose us. You see, we could say, oh, we chose to be Christians, and we did. We did. But the most important and exciting thing is that God actually chose us. It says there, 
He made us holy by His Spirit. What does holy mean? What is holy? Have you got different words in your translation of the Bible? Hagiasma, it means purified. We're actually made pure. We're holy, we're special, our faults are done away with. It's a very big word. But all of that stuff, all of that stuff only works when we do a certain thing. Listen again. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit. Sanctified means we're made into saints. Woohoo. By the Spirit of obedience, by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. What comes first? What's the first result of this act that takes place? Did you pick it up? First of all, we are supposed to obey Jesus Christ. I spend a lot of time all around the town here, and people say to me things like, oh, you know, I talk to God every day. He's got my back. Look, God will look after me. Yes, yes, and yes, only if we obey Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you today about promises that should lift your spirits and give you hope, but it works if you obey Jesus Christ. I have actually told the story of the two houses here, you know, the, the house that was built on the rock and the house that was built on the sand. And the last time I did it here, uh, I was quite interested. I asked, so what's the difference? What is the life that stands? And nobody in the room, this room, nobody actually answered. Nobody knew. What is the thing that makes the difference? Because in Sunday school, they didn't, they changed the words in the song. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. No, that's not quite what it says. Does anybody, is anyone going to have a crack? What is it? It's obedience, isn't it? Listen, Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? See, people call Jesus Lord all over the place, don't they? Phil Collins. Oh, Lord. But does Phil Collins really treat Jesus as his Lord? I don't know. I'm not saying he doesn't. Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid his foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the torrent crashed against that house but could not shake it because it was well built. So what did that do? What did that guy do right? Your foundation was right because he says he hears my words and he obeys them. He acts on them. Now there's another kind of person, isn't there? And you know what's coming. But the one who hears my words and does not act on them is like a man who built his house on a ground without a foundation. The torrent crashed against that house and immediately fell, and great was its destruction. Now, we could argue there might be a third group of people. What if you never heard Jesus' words? But it's no good to us, is it? Because we all have, haven't we? So we're faced with that stark choice. Every promise I say today can be yours. If you're sitting there and you go, well, I obey Jesus Christ, there's promises are for you if you sitting there you go well I don't obey Jesus Christ then I'm saying to you here's an offer what do you think are you going to are you going to are you going to give your life to Jesus it says grace and peace be yours in abundance grace and peace are, are spoken over people who didn't naturally have it you see there's no reason particularly why when you're living in a foreign land where people eat speak different language and eat different food you can't get a job people look on down on you because you're Jewish and whatever there's no reason to have grace and peace and yet here's Peter speaking it over he said well grace and peace anyway who does the grace and peace come from 
comes from God himself. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who's, who makes me think, and I don't mind at all, and he said to me, I, I picked up the phone while I was there. A call came in, and I said, oh, I'll change his name to Robert. But I said, oh, excuse me, Robert, I have to take this. I could see it was fairly important. And a man began to, to talk on the phone and uh, talk about what he was going through. And basically it was, it was kind of a refugee situation. That, uh, you know, homelessness, uh, getting kicked out of New Zealand and stuff. And the man, he was, didn't sound emotional on the phone, but you know how when somebody's taking a phone call, you're there, you can kind of pick up the vibe? And when I finished, my friend was sitting there, and he was really quite emotional. He was a bit tearful. And he said, that man is really hurting, Jeremy. He's really hurting. I can tell. He's in great need. I said, yes, that's right, Robert. I said, he is. And, it, it, and we talked a bit about how many people I meet in a week who are like that, who have these terrible burdens. And then he asked me, how do you cope? How do you cope? Me. How do I cope? And I said an answer, which I'll go to revise. I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know. But in the next few days, I thought a bit about it when I'm preparing this message. Because you know what? I do cope, and, and I hope you cope too, as we have these hard things happen. And the reason is there in that scripture that God speaks over us Grace and peace comes to me in abundance. Can't really explain it. I mean, doesn't the Bible say the peace of God which passes all understanding will rule in your hearts and, and lives? Can't understand it. It just does. But only if you obey Jesus Christ. <laughs> all right. How can you have peace when you've lost everything? Well, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's look at the next uh, the next thing here that's how can you have peace when you've lost everything god just has to give it to you you won't find it in your circumstances i mean some of you go home and go how can i find joy in this home you can't god has to give it to you and then you begin to be a joy spreader you begin to lift the spirits of the people around you this little paragraph is headed up living hope and uh it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ whoa did you know that Yahweh is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Did you know that Yahweh is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ? Does that fit neatly with your understanding of how things are? No. Good. If you don't like it, you could join one of the churches that change the Bible to suit their beliefs. But if you find God is tidy and easy to understand, perhaps you haven't looked hard enough at it. Jesus did have a God. His God was Yahweh, the Almighty God. The word used here for, for, uh, for God and Father is, oh, sorry, the word that's used for Father is the ancestor, the Father, the Elder, or the Senior. Almighty God was the Senior, the Father, the Ancestor, and the Elder of Jesus Christ. And the word used for our Lord Jesus Christ was Lord, Master, Sir, or the Lord. The next sentence says this, By his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth, born again, you've heard of that, haven't you? New life, because of his great mercy. Are we born again? Do we get this new life because we're so good? Do we deserve it? Can we earn it? Then why are we always going on about trying to obey Jesus Christ? Because this is why, by obeying Jesus Christ, we show him that we're sincere and wanting to follow him. And then he gives us all this stuff as a free gift. We can't earn it. We know that. But boy, we're thankful for it. 
And we want to please Jesus Christ as much as we can. In Colossians 3, chapter 1, it says, You have been raised with Christ. In Romans 6, 4, it says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Does that make all the sense it could? Not really. How come when Jesus Christ died, it paid for my sin? I can't understand it. I've only been on this road for about 60 years. But somehow, in a way that only God can fully understand, he paid for us. And when he rose from the dead, we did too. We're risen people, just like Jesus. Living hope. Why? It says here, he has given us, by his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why living hope? This is why, because the hope that we have is so living, it's so alive, it has a life all of its own. It drives our living. Why are you living? Because of my living hope, that's why. That word hope in the Bible means hope or expectation or trust or confidence. Confidence, sorry. It's the word elpis, and it means really an expectation of what is sure and certain. Now, we don't use hope like that in English. We go, oh, I hope I get in the team. I've played pretty well lately. Um, and, and I, don't, I don't know if the other day was my best game, but the coach was watching. I hope I get in the team. And then you say, did I get in the team? No. Oh, I knew I wouldn't. <laughs> that is not Bible hope. What the Bible tells us is hope in the Bible is used as a word that means an assurance of something that we absolutely know. All right? You, don't, you wouldn't risk your life to hope you get in the team, knowing that you might not. But we'll risk our life for Jesus Christ because our glorious hope is we've got this life assured to us. That's important to know. Otherwise, when you read the Bible, you go, oh, yeah, hope, hope it happens. Hope I make it. And I hear Christians say that. Hope I get to heaven. Hope I will. I've heard it from an Anglican. I've heard it from a Jehovah's Witness. Hope we make it. That's, they, they misunderstand the meaning of hope altogether. Our hope is glorious. We know. Better words might be certainty or assurance. I don't know why the Bible translators just decided to use the word hope, but we could say, uh, let's see now. He has given you new birth into a living assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Or he has given us new birth into a living certainty of the, oh, sorry, in, in, a living certainty through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. However, I didn't translate the Bible. They probably had a reason for using hope. Verse 4 says this, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you. We look forward to an inheritance. That's what an inheritance is. We haven't got it yet, have we? One day I'm going to inherit the farm or whatever it is. Someday, lad, all this will be yours. It's an inheritance, all right? And that's what we have with God. Now, he gives us all sorts of wonderful things here and now, but way out there in the future, there's something that will happen. And we can be quite sure of it. We look forward to it because right now life can be hard. If we look around us, we don't get much of a sense of the inheritance. But there is something that makes me think of this. Imagine, this is ridiculous, but imagine you could have a talk with an unborn baby, okay? And you go to the unborn baby and you say, and the, and, and you say hey, how are you, how's it going? And you go, nice, this is good. I've got everything I need here. Thank you for asking. And then you say, uh, do you ever wonder if there's anything else? And the baby goes, I do, actually. I've been looking at these little fingers, because babies can see in the womb. I've been looking at these fingers, and they're good to sort of suck, but I sometimes wonder 
if they're made for something else? And you say they are. Do you know one day, one day those fingers will work a chainsaw. They'll play the piano if you don't use the chainsaw carelessly. <laughs> one day those, those fingers will give someone a massage and, and you'll do twinkle, twinkle, little star with them. Do you know that? And the baby goes, huh, what are you on? Because the baby doesn't understand what it's like out there, huh? The baby's world is here. Now, what I, the point I'm making is it's a bit like that with us. Here we are in this world. Now, we've got fingers and we know what they're for, chainsaws and pianos and things, all right? We've got you, the things you've got, you know what they're for, okay? A mouth to eat and talk, teeth to bite things. But you also know there's something in you that just doesn't seem to quite fit here. There's a longing for something else. There's a sense of the eternal. There's a reluctance to accept, and you'll see this of people of all beliefs, a reluctance to accept that when somebody actually dies, or in Huntley we say passes away, they're in a box there, you look at them, they're not breathing, they're not moving, but there's a reluctance to accept they don't exist anymore. A few people say, oh no, I believe when you're dead, that's, it. that's the end of you. Not many people do, do they? And that's why people who don't believe in Jesus Christ get up and say things. Uh, you, if, what's that? Yeah, they do. They say all sorts of stuff. Like, I've seen people who run funerals who don't believe in God, and they say things like, he'll never really be dead as long as he's alive in their hearts. Okay, okay, I get that. But there's this longing to come up with some meaning, isn't there? Well, I'm not, I, believe it or not, I didn't actually jump up and say, oh, rubbish. I didn't. I was quite well behaved. But, but as Christians, <laughs> what we believe, our hope is just so far away from that, isn't it? It's just totally different. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's not alive because he still lives in our hearts, for goodness sake. He's alive because he's alive. My dad has turned 100 recently, and he's bouncing around with all his troubles gone. He's found the living hope. Lived his whole life aching for it. And as he got older and older and older, like my mum now, oh, I hope Jesus takes me home soon. Can't wait, can't wait. Bingo. And there's this this, uh, coupapa in the box here, you know. But Dad's gone. He's away bouncing around with my brother and his baby who died. You know, that's what we believe. So that's one reason that I believe we can say, look, there is something else. Some of the things in us just don't fit this world. Some of them don't. This word inheritance, you will find at whatever version you look at, it says inheritance. There's no doubt around that. It is our inheritance. It's our possession. And uh, when it says we have confidence... Uh, we, we have, we, oh sorry, when, when this comes up, there's a real confidence in it. There's a lady lives up the road there and she says, when I die, I'm leaving my house to my grandson. Well, the grandson doesn't go, oh, I wonder, I wonder if she will. He's paying the mortgage. She's broke. He's got a job. I'll pay your mortgage, Nan. Right, you can have the house. There's an assurance. It's an inheritance. That's theirs. That's awesome, eh? Yeah, wish your kids would do that. <laughs> Yeah. Now, the new, the new Living Translation puts it like this. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. That's pretty cool, eh? That's verse 4. I like that, so I read it to you. Let's have a look at verse 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Mm. Who through faith... I looked up, what does faith mean? Faith, the the word they use is faith, belief, trust, confidence, fidelity, or faithfulness. 
cursed us. It's always a gift from God. This isn't from the Bible, by the way. One commentator wrote this. Faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. I don't know if I agree with that or not. Whoa, I thought, hmm, there's something to think about, but I'll dump it on you. You can have a bit of a think of it. Don't say Jeremy said. Jeremy said someone else said it. Listen again. What do you think of that? Faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. Do you think that might be true? That we can't produce faith, we can't produce belief, we can't produce trust, we can't produce confidence, we can't produce fidelity, which means kind of staying true to something, and we can't produce faithfulness. God gives it to us. We can have it. Yeah. What's that? Mm. We can, eh? God gives us a seed, and that's good. And Jesus actually said seed is like a faith. So that's, that's, faith is like a seed. He's told us that. Yeah, planted a seed. And then we've got some control over whether that seed grows. Hey, God can give us a gift. We can either go, oh, nah, or we can embrace it, but it comes from God. Now, that's a good point. Thank you, commentators. It says there we're kept safe. Who through faith are shielded or kept safe by God's power. What are we kept safe from? We kept safe from, from our tractor going in the ditch. We kept safe from hurting our toe. Are we, get, are we kept safe from being killed? We're not. Isn't, the Bible says that. Are we kept safe from being beaten up and raped? No. Because people are. People are. They, they suffer from these things. So when it says we're kept safe, it means that with all of these terrible things going on, you are preserved as, as your, your, your life will be taken through to that time whenever it is when Jesus Christ takes you home to be with himself. If you read the whole Bible, you can make no case at all for saying that you won't have any troubles, that you'll be kept safe from any troubles. Christians are being killed all over the place, but they're being kept safe because their life is held like that in God's hands. What's the salvation there? The salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Don't we already have salvation? We do, don't we? But what that's talking about is the full salvation. You know, we look at it, we say, God has saved me. There's no doubt about it. But there's no doubt about it that there's more salvation coming. That there will be a time when we'll be fully saved and all our troubles will be behind us and we'll be right with God. What's going to be revealed? Full salvation. Let's have a look at the next bit. In this, you greatly rejoice, though for now... So now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in various trials. Be joyful. Rejoice. Do you know what that means in the Bible? It literally, the word actually means jump a lot. I know English people don't do that, okay? I know. We just don't. Hannah and Jason got engaged years ago, and it was kind of funny because they came to us first. Jason said, no, I'm a Turk, and I married Hannah sort of thing. Yes, you can. Uh, actually, <laughs> he says, Matua, can we go out and have a look at that tree that you cut down? I said, yeah, sure. We went out the door. I said, well, there's the tree. What did you really come out to ask me about? He says, can I marry Hannah? Yes, you can. We want you to. <laughs> so we went inside and we go, wow, so cool. So Hannah and Jason are going to be married. That's great. We're really pleased, you see. And, uh, and so that, that's how we do it. We're, you know, I'm English. And, and I was really pleased. Now, the story went that they then went around to tell Murray and Jenny, and it's like, 
I think, I think there was something in there about Jenny either jumping on the sofa or jumping off it or something. Was it? There was something, probably, you know. But it did not mean that the Hendersons were very excited and full of joy and the Welshers were not, okay? There's just different ways we show stuff, all right? I was going to say Parkers are like that, but they're not. Those, they weren't. <laughs> it was just us. <laughs> but how, having said that, I had to give myself a bit of a lecture, Jeremy. Word actually means, literally, jump a lot. Now, last week we went to a church in Hamilton, and I'm trying to remember, Murray and Jenny might be able to help me and Janet, but uh, the woman who was talking there put up a list of words on the board, and she said, these words are Joy's cousins. Was it Joy's cousins? And they were cool. There were words like, there was words like serenity, contentment, satisfaction, peacefulness. She said, they're cousins of joy. And so in your life, you might not feel like jumping on a sofa, but if you feel a satisfaction, if you feel a contentment, if you feel a sense of fulfillment, that's close enough for English people. <laughs> okay. Now, we, we're told here about suffering grief, right? It's okay to grieve. We need to. I'm not always good at it. Peter did not say to not grieve. He said, you will suffer grief in trials. Now, this word trials, it means trial, probation, testing, being tried, temptation, calamity, or affliction. I went to court with a friend called Johnny, and he'd been accused of something, and he said, I'm going to prison for sure because I've had such, he had such a big criminal record, pages and pages on his rap sheet. He says, and so he sold his car to the wreckers. There's nothing wrong with it, so his kids could have some food while he's in jail, all right? He went into, into court that day, and we prayed before he went. And he went in with his held, head held high. He was tidily dressed. He, he looked very different to most people who go into court. And, and my mate and I were sitting there to support him. We'd written letters, and the judge let him go out the front door. He couldn't believe it. He was so excited. But I'll tell you something. When you go through a trial, you look at, wow, I've got to go for trial for stealing a car, whatever it is. By the way, he, he wasn't guilty of the offence. He, he, he was kind of framed for it. Uh, when you go through a trial, you never look at it. Wow, who looks forward to a trial? Well, sometimes we do. Because if your kid comes in, hey, guess what? I've got trials for the regionals. So, wow, have you? You better play well. Wow, wouldn't that be exciting to have a kid in the regionals? See, it's trial. We're trying out. Tryouts, that's another word, isn't it? Your kid comes home and says, hey, the man down at the tie shop said he'd give me a trial for a job. You go, cool, excellent. See, a trial is a good thing. It gives you a chance. And my friend Johnny, he was on trial, but his trial proved that he was an innocent man, that he was a decent man, and the judge would give him a chance. So trials, yep, trials are not things that people seek, but sometimes they are good. If you have a trial for the all black, uh, if you have a trial period in a new job. Why do we have trials? Well, the Bible says this. So that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, we have trials to prove that our faith is genuine. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Now, I'm just going to ask Janie to come up now. Because this week, Janie and I, a couple of days back, Janie and I were having a natter, and something came up that interested me, and it really fits with this. There you go. Oh. Tell you a story about my 
Oh, yeah. Um, so you've, you all know I've been coming here for a long time and um, I've been away lately of recent and um, I've been struggling with myself, my faith and just in general life. Um, and I go to God and say, why? Like I moved out of St Paul again, St Paul Street. Why, why are you bring me back here, God? You know, I wanted things to work out with me and my husband. Why you keep doing this to me? And I had a friend come up to me and he goes, you know why, my friend? Because you're strong and he needs to use you for his purpose, not my own. <laughs> and it's been so hard, though. And I go to, but then I go to God, you know, I always thank him because he's always blessing me too. So it's not just the struggles that I deal with with him, but also the blessings The blessings I see. People might see my house as a trap house. Not so But we got love in there. We got kindly. We got warmth in there. I just don't have very, um, very, you know, my kids are just, not what I want them to be. They're not very helpful around my home. They they struggle with a lot because of child needs and family, what they've been through. So I've been struggling a lot with life in general itself, with drugs. One of my children's a gangster now. And I say to God, why, why me, why me? You know, I'm, I love you. I'm trying hard as a single parent, as a single mother. As a person that wasn't brought up in your faith and, and what you had to offer. And once again, because you're worth it, my child, I cannot show what I need to show the people where I live without you. And I feel like I'm always stuck in a dark place. And they, my friend goes, you know, sing the song, this little light of mine. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> I'm going to let it shine. In the dark places that I end up in, I love God so much, but, geez, I get, I get tested. I feel like, you know, I just don't want to be around him sometimes. This is my God. This is how I feel with my father, and it's not right. <laughs> yeah, you know, and... Sorry that I'm here. There's a, there's a great end. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> this is just all the build up to the great end that he has for us. And the great end was bringing me back to use. You know, being away from you has weakened me, has lessened my faith in every way. And yet God still blesses me. You know, I've got three children that work now. Thank God Tom is still working um, and their child is still going to youth group and he was my little offender. You know, I would never thought he had got here. So excuse me for rambling on like I am, but it's the truth. We have some hard trials, us Christians, ahead of us. And it's not easy, even though we make it sound easy. It's such a struggle for me, but I thank him for blessing me still, for having me, and for having you still stick by my side of my families. So without this church, I didn't think I want to leave Huntley because of these reasons, because I love the people here and the faith, 
and the courage and the strength that they get me to keep coming back to him. So thank you, everybody. Sorry. We will, we're going to pray for Janie a bit later, but right now I want to show you something. Janie, this is, this is really for you. The, when we're being tried, the Bible says that we, we're being refined. And th- this, this comes from the book of Job, a crucible for silver and a furnace for gold, but the Lord is the tester of hearts. Who likes being in a furnace? No one does. No one does. But a work is taking place. I heard a story years ago that I have never forgotten. Janie, I want you to hear this too, right? When the gold refiner in the old days is refining the gold, he puts it on intense heat. That's a picture of the gold in the, in the little crucible, they call it. And he watches and he watches. And as the gold through this, goes through this intense heat, this sort of muck, anything dirty in the gold comes to the top. And he has a scraper. And he takes the scraper and he just scrapes it. And then he keeps heating it. And more sort of dirt and impurities comes up. He scrapes it. And he just watches. And he watches. And he watches. And then you're going to ask, so how does he know when it's ready? How does he know when the gold is pure? Do you know the answer? He knows it's pure when he can see his face in it. And when he sees his face in the gold, he knows that it's pure gold. He takes it off the fire because the refining has done its work. And that's what God's looking at at for us. He's looking and he's going, well, there we are. I know this is hard, but I'm looking. Can I see my face in this Christian? Can I see a godliness developing? In Psalm 56, in the New Living Translation, it says this. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. What does that mean? Why would God collect tears in a bottle? Has he really got 10 10 billion little bottles all over heaven collecting tears? What does that mean? It's figurative language. We've talked about that before. But it's a way of saying, it's a way of us picturing that when we sit in the dark and we cry and our heart is broken, God remembers every tear we cried. He knows. He knows. David wrote that. So I want you to know that when you sit there in the dark and you cry and you think, is anybody listening at all? Is this ever going to end? God is there. You're not on your own. He collects all the tears. He remembers all the sorrows. He's watching you and sitting with you when you cry. He's not saying that you deserve it because you don't. Please remember all the stories you've heard happened to Christians who followed Jesus. There are people in this room who have extended kindness and hospitality and been beaten up and or raped for their kindness. There are people in this room have put their life in the hands of a man who is meant to walk with them through life, and he's been the one who'd raise his hand against it. It doesn't get much worse than that. But what Janie said is true. God's walking through it with us. There's just one more thing to say. When you're crying in the dark and you think it's hopeless and no one's with you, God is with you, but he has no intention of you 
trying to carry these burdens without some people friends too. Because it happens that when Jesus left this earth, he left a lot of the work of building the kingdom of God and helping people and supporting each other to us as a body. That's why sometimes people say to me, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Well, the Bible didn't even mention that that could possibly be. If you are a Christian, you're in the church, aren't you? And we're here for each other. Now, I told you I was going to pray for Janie, and I am. We're all going to pray for Janie. It's been a hard time. Janie told me a lot more today than she did over the cup of tea the other day. But that's good, girl. That's good. You were brave. You've blessed us by that. And you've helped yourself too. To say that has helped you. Let's just pray. God, in this room, Janie reminds us there are lots of people here and outside around us who just live lives that are so hard. But if we have decided to obey Jesus Christ and if we're doing it, then nothing is lost. All our tears aren't wasted. All our sorrows aren't forgotten. You're a God who gathers and remembers. Sometimes we look at our life and we think, gee, if this is salvation, is this really what we signed up for? But we know it's not full salvation. We know full salvation comes. We we find the full joy and the full presence of God at what the Bible calls uh, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes in glory to show that Jesus Christ isn't just some background figure who walks with us, but he's actually the glorious Lord of the universe. The Bible tells us that our life is expected to be hard and we're meant to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Please come, please come. And we do want you to. We have joys in our life, but we look to the, your coming. We pray too. For the people, the brothers and sisters who are not here with us, people all over the world, Christians who have been put to death, tortured, killed, and having their property plundered just simply because they're Christians in China, Africa, so many places, the Philippines. We pray that all through it, you'd give us a comforting vision that this is only for now, that the time is coming when we'll see you face to face. Help us to be there for each other too, Lord. If we live comfortable lives, help us to have a heart for people who don't. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast.